The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hey, this is John from sunny California, and the reason I never listened to I Doubt It with Dollamore is because of Dollamore. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dollamore. All right, everybody. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to the show. I Doubt It with Dollamore. I am your host, as always, Jesse Dollamore. And sitting across from me, the accomplished master degree, master's degree. It's I had to look it up, how to what the capitalization rules were. Anyway, Brittany Page, everybody. I can't talk until you're... <laughs> so I'm sitting here waiting for you to... Well, when I posted on Facebook about it, mm-hmm. I wrote, she just earned her master's, capital M, mm-hmm. no apostrophe S. <laughs> and then I got to thinking, I don't know if that's how you do it. So I looked it up and no, it would just be little m, apostrophe S, Unless you're naming the degree. Am I in the weeds? This is just riveting. <laughs> holy S. Yeah, holy <laughs> S indeed. So you graduated on Saturday. Yeah, do I get a raise? You do not get a raise. Oh. Yeah. Oh. That is not how it works. No raise for me. Nope. Good to know. But it was a good time. Well, I it mean, was not a good time. The graduation it was, was not a good time. Yeah. Someone that was sitting next to me actually leaned over to me and said... Is this supposed to be fun? Because I'm not having a good time. It was 90 degrees. Over 90 degrees, yeah. We were sitting in the sun. Direct fucking sunlight. There were 500, I guess, 500 undergraduates. That's that, what they said. For They graduated with their psychology degree. And we couldn't just get up and leave. You know, that's kind of rude although you did that so that's good yeah i got the fuck out of yeah that. um you had to sit there the whole time and the cap and gown is black yeah you're so just i'm sitting in the, in the sun in a black sheet not a good time yeah but better than we a white had fun. sheet yeah we had fun better than a white sheet is that a racist joke yeah it's yeah. A KKK yeah, joke. yeah 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 so uh first of all they couldn't have picked a worse fucking place they, they can't <laughs> construct a giant tent uh, it's just it's too much. It's it was a bummer for everybody. And the I other will thing say that. is, I don't remember for your undergraduate degree. I don't remember there being so many goddamn people. Yeah, there were fewer people, and also we were not sitting in the sun. The audience was sitting in the sun still, but yeah, you but were like the, under an awning, right? Yeah, yeah, and it really makes a difference because I mean, Man. we were all sitting there sweating and miserable and wondering when it was gonna. And you had to sit end. there the whole time. Yeah, I got, I pieced out. I was out of there. I cannot tell you how sweaty I was. I looked like a melted candle after that was done. <laughs> it was like a character in Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, it was a bummer. <laughs> well, I do. I got some audio. 
No. When they announced, because when the, when the when the masters people when they graduate, they name they give the name of the thesis, your your thesis title, mm-hmm. and then you go up and they put the. Can I just say this also? <laughs> the when you graduate high school, you graduate with your bachelor's degree. You have a normal looking robe on. Yeah. And the master's robe. A little bat wing. Yeah, it has like fucking weird things on the sleeves that hang down uh-huh. that look like like bat wing sleeves. Yeah. That's stupid. You look stupid. It's it's fine. No. Yeah. It's not. Now now you have to get, go get your PhD so you can at least have the cool hat. What is also goofy, I think, but not as goofy as the doesn't even make any sense. And then you have a hood. They have to hood you. Yeah, I like it. With the yeah, of course you do. I anyway, like all this stuff. Here is the audio of the, the the man who announced the the graduate thesis theses and their titles. Here it is. Brittany Page. Her thesis is: Are atheists immoral? Patterns of values of atheists, theists, and theists on moral foundations. Dr. Navarek is her thesis chair. Yay! Oh, now we all feel like we were there. And uh, so Brittany had wedges on, mm-hmm. and she gets up. Brittany's six foot two with her wedges on, and <laughs> it was like a kind of a scene. Uh-huh. The, the the regular sized man mm-hmm. trying to hood you. Mm-hmm. You look like Donald Trump getting the gold medal from the Saudi guy this weekend. I didn't bow. Well, what happened was <laughs> it's the it's the program coordinator, Dr. Mearns, and he he came up to me, but everyone was kind of standing there. But he was speaking directly to me about the hooding process. And I. I was so confused during the whole conversation, wondering if everyone already knew and I was like the only one right. that wasn't privy to the information. And that's why he was telling me directly. And then at the end, he said, so I don't know who's hooding you. If they're shorter than you, you might need to duck down. And I realized that that was the whole point of yeah. like talking to me. Well, you're the tallest one with your heels on of your class, yeah. of your cohort. Yeah, I was. So... I I get that it was kind of a, a dilemma, but he was fine. You're almost as tall as me with those goddamn wedges on. Yeah, surprisingly very comfortable. <laughs> it didn't help with the sweating, with uh, the melting of the candle. It would have been worse if they had been closed toe shoes. Yeah. Just sealing the heat Probably. at the bottom. So how's it feel? What's uh? We had someone with us that had like a, a two foot giant telephoto lens because we were way in the back. Uh huh. And you said that you were trying to maintain a flinty exterior because you were getting a little emotional. Yep. <laughs> Why are you doing this to me? <laughs> I'm just asking. I'm just asking about you know. It's been it's been a long road. Yeah, it has. You really don't want to talk about it. I don't. I'm still feeling emotional about it, so All I right. don't want to. I don't want to... All right. Deprive the audience of what's going on inside you. That's fine. Uh-huh. Good to go. Yep. So Brittany, her master of science and clinical psychology, and now on to the next the next step. Yep. All right, everybody. <laughs> Good times. Oh, Brittany, open it up. How dare you? So let's, uh, let's move on. Let's actually read some voicemails. Let's read some emails and mm. listen to some voicemails. Let's start with an email or two. Hey, Jesse D and Brit Brit. 
Brit, Brit. In episode 303, you two seem to be very critical of Chris Wallace on Shepard Smith's show. <laughs> I want a clarification on that because Wallace is, I consider to be, a reasonable voice on Fox News. So we re-listened to this. Yeah. And I can see how someone might think no. that we, nope. that I was being critical of Chris Wallace. However... The only way that could have happened is if you tuned out and then came back in. Yeah, that was going to be my clarification. Is when I started closer. talking, <laughs> which totally happens. I mean, if you're listening to a podcast, there's many times where I'm listening and then I realize I have not been paying attention. So I have to go back. Yeah. So that happens, I'm sure. But yeah, we were absolutely not being yeah, critical so of Chris We did Wallace. re-listen. And what I think happened is you interpreted Brittany's criticism it's not of chris wallace it's of the situation that we find ourselves in where the sentence that the the president is trolling the media even has to be uttered right and that's what chris wallace said yeah and so i talked about that sentence at length but i'm not criticizing chris wallace for saying it we agree with you about him being one of the few uh, reasonable voices. Yeah, he's fantastic. On Fox News. Yeah, you see him try to go on Fox and Friends to promote his segment, right, on yeah, the weekends. Yeah, that's a clip we didn't play. And he always gets into it with those people. Because I take issue with the the the, the classification of hysteria. Because they're like, oh, all this hysteria, this this uh, Trump-Russia hysteria. And he's like, no, 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 no. I take umbrage with that because it's not hysteria. This is legitimate cause for concern. He is. He's a he's a straight hard newsman, and uh, he's one of the voices I do appreciate. That's why we play him on the show. Notice we don't play you know fucking Bill Hammer, who's utilizing the the situation with the the little autistic boy with Mike Pence and making it about snowflakes and shit. So I don't think that he's the one who called the child a snowflake. Oh, was it the woman? Yeah. So okay. well, we don't we don't watch Fox News. So right. Those are why those other voices aren't included on the show as sources for discussion because they are skewed way, way right. So thank you for the one. Thanks for look. We don't mind getting shit on. I don't mind being corrected. Not at all. Thanks for the email. I think it was from anonymous too. Was it not? Yeah, it was. (laughs) Next up. Hi, Brittany and Jesse. It's Janet from Albany, New York. Today, I was looking at the news and read that Betty Shelby was not convicted of manslaughter Mm. by a jury of her peers for the murder of Terrence Crutcher in Tulsa, Oklahoma. The articles I read do not say if she gets her job back, but does it matter? This was an unarmed man who was later found out to be under the influence of drugs, although apparently the answer to confronting someone under the influence is, hey, let's shoot him, was tased by an officer and shot by Shelby. She actually blamed his death on him. This is what I meant about not celebrating or even tempering celebrations when charges filed, because filing charges is the easy part. It's getting convicted and sentenced and serving time that seems to be the hard part. If the second part doesn't happen when the first part is, and I am sorry to say a waste of time and money, I agree with Jesse that there are more cops being charged now thanks to technology, but even with the technology, they still get away with it and keep their jobs while families are left grieving. The main problem is that our society has long been taught that black men and boys are dangerous no matter what they wear, how old they are, while playing at the park, 
walking home from playing basketball, driving in a car, complying with police instructions. They cannot win. I 100% agree. This is a fucking travesty. And anybody who's watched the tape, that's the beauty of this, is that we've been able to watch this from a bird's eye view from the helicopter. And I think there might have even been one other angle. And he's in the middle of the road. It's kind of an unusual situation. The car, is his truck's in the middle of the road. But that doesn't warrant gunshots. That doesn't warrant death. And she acted in dereliction of her duty, I believe, criminally. Was it premeditated? No. But that's not the bar that that has to be uh, overcome to get a conviction. You could be criminally negligent. It could be manslaughter. She clearly shouldn't have killed him. And because it's a jury of her peers... And it's, let's, it's, is it perfect? No, we have a very imperfect system, but it's the best that there is. And she got off. So I, you know, I don't know about the, 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 her getting her job back. It's situation. I don't know about that, but clearly work needs to be done. And it really goes to educating the public, getting the word out and, you know, letting people, have a, a deeper, more fundamental understanding of the bias that exists, even with good cops, even with good... Fuck, I have my biases. Even with good people. I guess that's presumptuous that I'm a good person, Brittany. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, thank you for the, for, the, for the email. And I think we could all do a better job of uh, being, being open and honest about these topics. Dear Jesse and Brittany, this this email is from a while ago, um, but I figured that we could read it now. Mm-hmm. I wanted to comment about Dan from Oceanside and his sister Candace phone calls about the submission of women to their men in evangelical Christianity. Let me start by saying that my wife and I are both practicing Christians. My wife is a licensed minister, and neither of us have a problem with gay marriage or whether some woman in another time zone has an abortion because it doesn't affect us at all. That being said, this perversion of the idea of a wife or woman, quote unquote, submitting to the will of a man is asinine. Ephesians 5.21 instructs Christian husbands and wives to, quote, submit to one another, But what most people don't realize is that it starts with the man. I'm going to try and explain without quoting too much from the Bible. (laughs) The husband is supposed to love his wife and be willing to give himself up for the sake of his wife. In turn, the wife is supposed to acknowledge the man as the head of the household. That means that it is the man's responsibility to lead the family as Christ leads the church. The man is supposed to make decisions for the betterment of the family and lead them to spirituality. The husband submits to his wife by acknowledging her strengths and his weaknesses. For example, my wife is much more responsible when it comes to finances. She writes out all of the bills every month and then allocates which paycheck of ours the payments will come from. Since she knows that I acknowledge that she is stronger in finances than I am, she trusts me and knows that I will do what needs to be done for the betterment and protection of the house and our family. This is the mutual submission my wife and I practice, and it has worked so far for us. The wife is not supposed to blindly submit to her husband. Husband and wife are to submit to one another. There are some other parts of this. However, 
I'm not going to read all of them. So love the show. Jesse's the best part. And then he says, just kidding. Brittany is actually the best part. I was going to say, of course I am. I'm the man. Brittany has to submit to my being the best part. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you have to lead the podcast to the, <laughs> the spiritual direction. That is right. Yeah. Well, listen, I 100% disagree. And maybe I should get Dan and Candace to respond. But uh, the Bible's very clear. The Bible's very clear that women are to keep their mouths shut and their heads covered. If they have a question about what they learned at the service, they're to wait until they get home and ask their husband. This is biblical. There's no way around this. If you decided that you want that you were to take over the finances, your wife would have no choice but to submit to you under your faith and uh, follow along with your your uh, your verdict, your edict. Whether or not you're the better person to do it, it, it comes down to what your decision is. And it's based solely on the fact that you have a flap of flesh that hangs between your legs and a couple of balls. That is it. There's just no way around it. I mean, you can try to nuance the argument, but... Well, there is a way around it, and that is what he has done, which as, which is adjust the language right he, to, ma- he minutia eyes that's what and that's what people do right yeah. and and so if it's kind of what candace said on her call which is there's a way around it if you want to find the way around it right if you want to find the way around it you will do that and you will find an explanation for it and so she was making the comment that it's a a character judgment right it speaks to your character based on the the adjustment that you do make so obviously yeah, Travis I, that's good that's good Travis is the person who sent us that email he wants to have more equality he wants an egalitarian relationship somewhat with his yeah. with his wife so he has found that workaround Th- that was what he's getting to and that is that listen uh, if we were practicing first century Christianity it'd be it's much different than it is now it's the same with Islam that needs the reform right now. It needs a reformation. And the liberalization of fundamentalist-type faiths is a good thing. So while I disagree with your interpretation, having come out of Christianity, been been in it for decades, so I understand the Bible. It's not like I'm (laughs) some outsider looking in. I lived it. I was there. Um, While I disagree with your interpretation, Travis... I am happy that this new way of looking at things is becoming common. I think that's awesome. It's the same thing with homosexuality. That Look, it's clear in the Bible, although Jesus didn't talk about it. It's clear in the Bible that being gay is a sin, an abomination. And now there's this newfangled interpretation, even of the story of Lot, given his daughter's to be raped and violated by the townsfolk because the angels were there and they wanted to, to get down with the angels. That it's No, that wasn't about gay stuff. That was about hospitality. That's the new thing that Christians and Christian scholars talk about. Rather than, no, 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 it's not the gay thing. It's not homosexuality. It's you got to be hospitable to your guests. I think that's bullshit, but I'm happy... If, listen, if people are going to be Christians and, and be gay, and if people are just going to be Christians in general, if they're open-armed to to gays and lesbians, 
then that's a fucking that's a win for everybody. Right. If you're not going to throw the Bible out in its entirety, then if it's better that you're making adjustments yeah, to, yeah, yeah. to what it's saying. Yeah. I mean, w- would we rather have, you know, one and a half billion or two and a half billion Christians who are following the stoning edicts of the Bible? Or would we rather have the ones that say, no, it's not about gays. It's about hospitality. If you're asking me, I'd rather have them with this new fangled, nuanced argument about things and understanding of the scripture than a hard-lined fundamentalist one. So, uh, Travis, I'm I'm with you. I, I mean, I'm with you in spirit, although I disagree that that's what the Bible is saying. Right, and it reminds me of a video I saw where uh, Majid Nawaz, who is a prominent Muslim thinker, um, was taking a call on a radio show from another Muslim, and he was talking about whether or not stoning an adulterer would be a problem. <laughs> and he couldn't get the caller to say, yes, that would be a problem. Yeah, that's be- a problem. Because he he didn't know what kind of interpretation they would be following. He like he wanted to know more information <laughs> behind their decision to stone an adulterer. And Majid Nawaz said, <laughs> okay, you know, you think you have a better grasp on morality than me, but I think it's, I think it's wrong. I don't need any additional information. I don't need to, to figure out what kind of interpretation yeah. they're using, where they're getting their information. I believe that that's wrong. And you have people of the same faith. They're both Muslims two completely different interpretations and approaches to how they would handle different situations right and so that's just where we're left with a lot of these religious texts and the one who has the more hardline fundamentalist outlook on it he believes he has a stranglehold on morality yeah on justice on what is right and wrong Mm -hmm. when come on this is we're living in modernity brother you can't you're not stoning people because they have sex outside of marriage come on well we need some more information We might need just a little bit more information. All right. Well, let's get to a voicemail and another kind of clarification on something that happened last episode. Hi, Takia from Indianapolis, Indiana. And I was listening to episode 304 um, and the comments about the male doctor needing a chaperone. Um, I work, I'm a nurse and I work in an emergency room and it is our policy that any doctors or physician assistants or nurse practitioners that are examining any genitalia areas of someone of the opposite sex, that they have a chaperone that is of the sex of the patient. Um, Sometimes that doesn't always work when it's a male patient that is getting an exam um, done. It's not always a male nurse or a male tech um, available. Um, if there's a male being examined by a female. Um, but for that reason, there's always a, a chaperone, and it, it's not because we don't trust our doctors or we don't trust our nurse practitioners or physician assistants. It is a safety precaution to prevent anyone from accusing them of anything. So it is a safety precaution to keep our, our providers safe from accusations. Um, and they got cut off. So I appreciate that clarification, though, and I suspected that it was related to that. Although I'm still 
confused because she said it was the policy that any doctor examining genitalia of someone of the opposite sex has a chaperone of the same sex present, but that this sometimes doesn't happen if it's a male patient, which says to me that there's less priority placed on a female doctor examining a male patient yeah. having a male chaperone present. Well, but think- that likely wouldn't be overlooked with a female patient. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, I think they're just playing the odds, though, here. They, they ran the numbers, and they came back not good for dudes. Mm-hmm. It's dudes who are... Look, if you look at the preponderance of rapists and sexual assaulters in the, on the, in the planet, I'd say 99% of them are dudes, and then you've got this scant 1% of women who might do it. Well, she's saying that it's not about that, that it's about protecting them. So maybe you should adjust that and say that men are less likely to complain... If a woman starts <laughs> touching them inappropriately, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's <laughs> maybe it's my bias coming in here, but I just there's nothing good about a dick. You know, it's not like a woman just sees a dick and oh, I gotta I gotta get my hand around that. It's they're kind of a bummer. Where a, 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 a woman's body is beautiful, and dudes, you know, they react to it. Um. I am not sure what this has to do with the conversation. (laughs) I don't either. I just, I don't, I just don't see that there's a likelihood that Mm -hmm. a female who's examining male genitalia Mm -hmm. is going to be a threat. Hmm. Okay. Maybe we're talking about two different things. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Either way, (laughs) I trust my doctor and... Did not need a chaperone. That's how I feel. Thank you for the clarification, though. We always appreciate that. So we haven't talked about this in a while, but Anthony Weiner. Back in the news. There's some, yeah, (laughs) unfortunate (laughs) updates with Anthony Weiner. God damn. He was in federal court on Friday morning and pled guilty to one charge of transferring obscene material to a minor. He was alone in federal court. Yeah. On whatever day. Yeah. So he agreed not to appeal any sentence between 21 and 27 months in prison. And a judge informed him that he will be required to register as a sex offender. He apologized to the 15-year-old girl with whom he exchanged explicit texts and said, quote, I have a sickness, but I do not have an excuse. So that happened. He's full. He's full of artful little answers and he has been that way since the entire sexting thing broke yeah if you watch that documentary i think it's called wiener yeah he's a very um she's just not a likable guy no he's very hateable and it makes it hard to feel sorry for him although i do feel very bad for their child yeah Uh, this is very unfortunate you know the child was in the background of one of his dick pics that he sent to someone and more let's call it a crotch shot because there was no dick in it it was underwear excuse me underwear okay well i don't know about the the qualifications of what makes something a dick pic i don't know i I just uh i want to be as accurate as we can when we're talking about a guy who's now going to register as a sex offender for sending inappropriate images to a minor right you know okay so here's something that's disturbing me about this story i just saw this i'm seeing this article from the hill being shared by hillary clinton supporters i read it today and 
I went to look at the source from which this information came and uh, Jesus. Anyway, what the Hill is saying is that this girl that he exchanged the messages with lied about her age and had political motivations to harm the Democratic presidential candidate, Hillary Clinton. And the Hill says in a report published Monday, the website, which is who, what, which apparently is run by a former New York Times writer. Really? Yeah. Well, I'll read some. But I've, never he- I've never heard of it. I'll read some parts of the report. Okay. okay. Not reasonable. Okay. Um, the website said the girl who exchanged the messages with Wiener was closer to 17 and not 15, as initial reports said. That puts her above the age of consent in North Carolina, which right. is 16. Right. Okay. Like any of this matters. So this is the language that this article from whowhatwhy.org is using. Our research shows that the girl was in fact not, quote, 15 and a sophomore, as the Daily Mail reported, when she initiated contact with Wiener. A court record shows that she was just shy of her 17th birthday at the time she approached him. In addition, her extensive social media footprint provides further evidence. For example, she posted a picture in 2014 on her 15th birthday after having been given a North Carolina's learning permit. The lie that she was 15 years old when Wiener sent her obscene material seems clearly designated to produce the maximum public outrage and put Wiener in greater legal jeopardy and the media-generated uproar Uproar may well have compelled the authorities to become involved and seize the computer with Clinton's emails. Do you see how much like blame right. is being put on this girl? Well, like she approached him. None of that matters. She initiated contact with him. Does not matter. I'm sorry, but if a teenager is throwing themselves at you and you are That's not a that's not a, a, a defense. Yeah. You say, Hey, teenager, uh, please stop. Right, so so if the or if, don't respond if, to if the it, messages. If the sixteen-year-old is initiating contact and you ignore, you rebuff the advance, and then they just keep it up. Is that a great defense? <laughs> oh well, Your Honor, they just kept on. Yeah, I I'm only so strong to 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 repel the advances, the sexual advances of a a person with the word teen. In their age. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if she had political machinations either. It shouldn't play in. Who cares? He's a grown goddamn man who can say, nope, you're not, you're not old enough for me to have inappropriate out of marriage relationship with. Well, also the argument that the age of consent law is 16 yeah is bizarre <laughs> yeah i mean like anthony weiner was concerned about this did i mean was he did he say like i need to make sure you're 18 please send me a picture of your id like no no right. a teenage girl came at him and he went along with it that that's there the, the way this is written with putting fault on the teenager right. is very weird to me. Listen, even that show with the guy, the the sexual predator show, uh, to catch a predator. Mm-hmm. I'm Chris Hansen. <laughs> uh, they they don't communicate with actual teenagers. They communicate with adults. Yeah, and then they go 
and there's no teenager even in the house when they go. Right. And they still get fucking convicted for an attempt right. to go have sexual relations with an underage person. And they get put on sex offender registries. Mm-hmm. And they get convicted and they go to fucking prison. And there was no teenager involved. So that's not a, that's not, the bar is not set there. Even if the girl had been 25 and he's sending images to what he thinks is a 15 year old, it's bad fucking news. Mm-hmm. And the fact they're bringing in the Clintons and trying to make this some kind of political conspiracy. No. So what, where, why? Fuck you. Right. Even if she, even if she comes from this family of Trump supporters and they said, hey, uh, teenage daughter, we're going to need you to lure <laughs> Anthony Weiner into uh, a trap where you start ex- exchanging explicit text messages yeah. so that we can ensure that Hillary Clinton does not do well in this yeah. campaign. We're going to sabotage Hillary Clinton. The fact still remains that Anthony Weiner chose to engage yeah. here. Th- that is it. So. <laughs> so stop. It's it's very irrational to me seeing people share this link because I always stop before I make a Donald Trump comparison. And I think, would I criticize Hillary Clinton for this? You know, if, if Hillary Clinton were president right now and she were doing all of this stuff, I believe that I would be just as upset and just as vocal with what she was doing as I am about Donald Trump. Sure. And when I see people who criticize Donald Trump for the Russian investigations and all of this sharing links like this, I just think this isn't rational. This is partisanship. And I agree. hundred percent. It seems like a problem. All right. So we want to take some time and thank our sponsor, Suji's Korean cuisine. Yes. Listen, go to your local Target or or Costco in the Southeast or H-E-B mm-hmm. and go buy the savory beef bulgogi. Yes. Uh, in Korea, savory beef is called bulgogi, and it is a centuries-old family tradition of marinating lean meat in a blend of soy, and I didn't know this, pear puree, vinegar, and sesame oil. For the perfect blend of sweet and tangy flavors. And when we ate what we've been talking about, the the, the bulgogi with the Korean tacos yeah. for an extended period of time, mm-hmm. <laughs> because it's just that good, that's what we had. The savory beef, the bulgogi, it's in the deli section of the Targets. That's what we're most familiar with because we went there. And it is fantastic right suji's korean cuisine has the tastiest most authentically korean flavors while also keeping their products clean meaning no added msg no preservatives so you don't have to worry about that either and their sauces which are awesome are also available on amazon suji's korean cuisine korean inspired made in the usa Support for I Doubt It with Dollamore comes from generous, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners like you by way of Patreon. Your support on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month helps keep the show going and move the conversation forward one podcast at a time. If you would like to join the ever-growing family of supporters, please visit patreon.com slash idoubtitwithdollamore. Shelby. Shelby. Thank you. Our latest Patreon slash PayPal supporter. 
We really appreciate it. Listen, it is the the wave has kind of slowed, but we still haven't had a show where in between shows we haven't had a new Patreon or PayPal supporter jump on board. So we are getting closer and closer to that third episode per week goal that we've set. And we are very excited about the prospect of doing a third show a week. So if you want to help that happen, dollamore.com slash Patreon or dollamore.com slash PayPal. Thank you so, so much. Dollamocracy. Facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So, unbelievable. The the uptick in news. We talked about it last time that there's no pretty way to do a show where you have 35 goddamn things that have happened in between a two or three day period between shows. Yeah. It's insane the the tempo with, with which these new revelations are coming down. Mm-hmm. You were telling me a story about the Washington Post and the New York Times having kind of a love fest on Twitter. Yeah, they're retweeting each other's breaking news. <laughs> and then I believe the New York Times gave a follow Friday to the Washington Post right. or vice versa. And someone retweeted the the follow Friday tweet and, and said, no, you hang up first. No, you hang up. <laughs> you know, because they're having this little, this little love affair going on. Yeah, well, it's awesome what's happening because they are really, they are the predominant... In fact, I almost did it last night, and I wanted to talk to you about it first, but I'm going to sign up for the Washington Post uh, digital edition. I have to, because... It, it, because they limit you on how many articles you can read. Yeah, by the third day of the month, I'm, I, yeah. I can't read them anymore. And it, now it's it's starting to track the other ways that I'm accessing it. <laughs> well, they have a deal. Well, it's like they're sponsoring us, but they have a deal where it's 99 cents for the first four weeks. Oh, and wow. Then, and then... Just ten bucks a month after that. Nice. Just a, per month. Yeah. That's less than we pay for the New York Times. Yeah. I think we're paying fifteen bucks a month for the New York Times. Mm. So maybe the New York Times should cut us a little, a uh, little, little break. Give us a little free subscription action, or the Washington Post. Anyway, they're both doing awesome, awesome work over there, and they're like in this competitive relationship where they're they're not just breaking the same story. It's a weird deal where they're breaking different aspects of the story and major news. Yeah. On on an almost daily goddamn basis. Mm-hmm. So the latest and greatest out of its entire Russia uh, deal and related to Comey still is that during the conversation where Donald Trump revealed highly sensitive classified information to the Russians relative to Israel and their embedded uh, operative with ISIS... He also had a conversation with the Russians about why he got rid of a Comey and that it was directly related to the Russia investigation, which any way you shake it spells obstruction of goddamn justice. He also apparently called him a nut job. President Trump departing Washington today for his first overseas trip, but unable to escape the controversies swirling around his presidency. The latest bombshell, a New York Times report that the president told Russian officials in an Oval Office meeting earlier this month that firing Jim Comey as FBI director removed great pressure on him. 
I just fired the head of the FBI. He was crazy, a real nut job, Trump said, according to a document summarizing the meeting. I faced great pressure because of Russia. That's taken off, he added. White House Press Secretary Sean Spicer not denying the account. By grandstanding and politicizing the investigation into Russia's actions, James Comey created unnecessary pressure on our ability to engage and negotiate with Russia, Spicer said in a statement. The latest revelation comes as the president offered yet another version of the events leading up to the dismissal of Comey, who was leading the bureau's investigation into possible collusion between the Trump campaign and Russia. Director Comey was very unpopular with most people. I actually thought when I made that decision, and I also got a very, very strong recommendation, as you know, from uh, the deputy attorney general. After saying this about the firing last week. Oh, I was going to fire regardless of recommendation. So was- Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein telling lawmakers on Capitol Hill that he wrote the memo after he knew the president made the decision to fire Comey, but making clear he takes responsibility for the document. I wrote it. I believe it. I stand by it. He knew that a decision had been made, and at the same time, he observed that a decision is not final until it's final. Rosenstein today briefing House members about his decision to appoint former FBI Director Robert Mueller as special counsel in charge of the Russia investigation. Do you believe Mueller will conduct a fair investigation? Absolutely. Uh, You know, uh, the definition of fair will not be a Republican definition. They won't like it. A Democratic definition, at times they won't like it. And the president, at times, will be frustrated. Uh, But, you know, again, this is about public confidence. The controversy engulfing Trump's presidency as he embarks on an eight-day five-stop tour that one official describes as kind of do or die. The president tweeting this morning, Getting ready for my big foreign trip will be strongly protecting American interests. That's what I like to do. Trump, a foreign policy novice, will be joined on the trip by the First Lady and a long list of top advisors, including Jared Kushner, Ivanka Trump, Reince Priebus, Steve Bannon, and Stephen Miller. So there's a lot to unpack there because this trip did happen, which I believe kind of gave Trump some breathing room because... Although he is making news while over there, it is not, the revelations aren't coming out and it's kind of uh, been a little slower tempo in the news. But really what this talks about and speaks very loudly to me is that Donald Trump, again, I know I call him the dumb guy all the time, but this really just bolsters my opinion that he is just a dumb guy. He really believed that firing the head of the FBI would take the pressure off that's taken off quote unquote that's unbelievable that a 70 year old ivy league educated man believed that that would stop the 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 motion of the investigation yeah it could also be his inflated sense of his abilities or kind of the way that again he's used to interacting with people in his other role as businessman yeah where if he were to get rid of someone Problem solved. I got rid of him. Right. But, but overall, this is obstruction of justice. He's letting his intent be known. What his motivations were. Mm-hmm. I got rid of him because there was a lot of pressure because of the, the, the Russia investigation. And now that's gone because I got rid of him. Right. <laughs> that's, come on. And that, this was in a, an official White House account 
seems pretty clear of the meeting what was going on yeah and then the other news that came out is that Michael Flynn in intercepted communications from the Russians they were bragging about how they were using Flynn to influence Donald Trump CNN has learned about intercepted Russian communications the picture they paint of Moscow's relationship with fired Trump national security advisor Michael Flynn and how alarming it was to the Obama administration. Seen as Pamela Brown and Gloria Borger, they are breaking this story. They join us now. Pamela, what have you learned? Well, Anderson, tonight multiple sources telling CNN that Russian officials bragged in conversations during the presidential campaign that they had cultivated such a strong relationship with former Trump advisor Michael Flynn that they believed that they could use him to influence Donald Trump and his team. Now, those conversations deeply concerned U.S. intelligence officials, and it even impacted what intelligence the incoming administration was privy to because some Obama intelligence officials acted on their own to limit how much sensitive information they shared with Flynn. Gloria, one former, uh, you, you talked to one former official. What did they say? I did. I did, Anderson. And one former official told me that, that the way the Russians were talking about Flynn was regarded as what they called a five-alarm fire from early on. The Russian conversations indicated they regarded Flynn as their ally, sources told us. Now, officials also cautioned that the Russians might have exaggerated their sway with Trump's team during those conversations. Flynn's relationship with Russia developed throughout 2016, we're told, months before Flynn was caught on an intercepted call in December speaking with Russia's Sergei Kislyak, the ambassador. That ultimately led, of course, as you know, to Flynn's firing as Trump's first national security advisor. Anderson, we've reached out to both Flynn's lawyer, who has declined to comment, and the White House, which said this. We are confident that when these inquiries are complete, there will be no evidence to support any collusion between the campaign and Russia. Top former Obama intelligence officials and members of Congress briefed on the matter have all said the same thing. Pamela, we're also learning, I understand, for the first time, details about Flynn's conversations with the Russians. That's right. One major concern was the subject of conversations between Flynn and Kislyak that took place shortly after President Obama slapped new sanctions on Russia for meddling in the U.S. election. And sources tell my colleague Jim Shudo uh, that Flynn told Kislyak that the Trump administration would look favorably on a decision by Russia to hold off on retaliating with its own sanctions. And then, as you know, the next day, Putin uh, said that he wouldn't retaliate. Now, sources also say that Flynn told Kislyak that the incoming Trump administration would revisit U.S. sanctions on Russia once in office. As you know, Trump has angrily denied any collusion with Russia uh, this week. He denounced the newest investigation now in the hands of special counsel Robert Mueller. He has called that a witch hunt. Anderson. Despite all of this, though, I'm Gloria, President Trump, he's remained steadfast in, in his support, hasn't he? Yes, he's very loyal. And the most obvious example of this is according to that memo by James Comey, which we just learned about, in which he asked the director of the FBI to let the investigation of Flynn go completely. Unbelievable. I mean, loss of words. Michael Flynn now, you know, he was subpoenaed. They subpoenaed his record and his testimony, and he's denying the subpoena and instead has chosen to plead the fifth, to assert his Fifth Amendment right under the Constitution of the United States, which... If you don't know, everybody should know your Fifth Amendment privileges, or your Fifth Amendment right, that is, is to not incriminate yourself by giving testimony. 
No one in the United States can be compelled to testify against themselves in a criminal matter. So he by, by pleading the fifth, all he's saying is, look, I would talk except for the fact that if I do, I will incriminate myself and I'm not going to do that. He's fucking guilty. <laughs> so this is not good for Donald Trump. And people have started shopping the I word. Ugh, don't do that. <laughs> I fucking hate that. Well, I am. I think it's I, funny because yeah. it's so prevalent right now. Everyone is saying the I word. Rather than impeachment. Oh, everybody's talking about the I word. Uh, no, it's impeachment. Say impeachment. Don't say the I word. It's impeachment. Impeachment. <laughs> Both Republicans and Democrats now are talking about impeachment. Yeah. So Nate Silver wrote this fantastic, beautiful article over at 538. Is it also tremendous? It's tremendous. <laughs> will Donald Believe me? Should we believe you? Yeah. Will Donald Trump be impeached? And it's just fascinating. Okay, but we're going to go through a couple of the things that he wrote. Yeah. So first he says that... There's a lot of hurdles to get through. Yeah. So first he says that there's this online prediction betting website, Betfair, hmm. and they have the chance that Trump will fail to serve out his four-year term at about 50%. Oh, really? That's pretty high. And then they also say there's a 20 to 25% probability that Trump doesn't even finish out 2017 in office. Uh, if that were to be the case, my betting odds, if I were to guess, it would be that he would resign. Mm -hmm. I think it's more likely he resigns than he is impeached. Yeah, so the whole point of this article is basically that it's impossible to create a statistical model. Right. Too, that, many, too many moving parts. That Nate. Well, not only that, there's there's not enough past behavior. Oh yeah. That resulted in impeachment. Right. To predict what kind of behavior would cause impeachment for Donald Trump. Right. It's only happened two and a half times. <laughs> it happened with Andrew Johnson. Yeah. Who succeeded Lincoln. Mm -hmm. And then it happened with Bill Clinton. But neither of them were pushed out of office. That's right. No one has been... Impeachment doesn't mean removal. It's the process of removal. Yeah. And it, I say two and a half times because articles of impeachment were getting ready to be drawn up by the House when Nixon peaced out. Yeah. So that <laughs> was the pressure happened. of impeachment yeah, that's that right. caused him to resign. Which I think, if I'm a betting man and I've... I clearly have no position here of authority because I've been wrong this entire time through this entire ordeal about Trump. Mm -hmm. And, you know, but now he's president. It's a little different story. Yeah. So Nate Silver distinguishes. He says impeachment is the sole authority of the House of Representatives and requires a simple majority vote. And then he talks about Andrew Johnson and, and Bill Clinton that were impeached by the House. That's but, right. But then it goes to the Senate, and the Senate holds an impeachment trial and acts as the jury, That's voting right. on whether or not to convict the president and then remove him from office. Right. And in the Senate, it takes a two-thirds majority, which would be 67, 67. of 100 votes. Yes. So, like we already said, Johnson and Clinton, they did not the vote did not happen there right. for them. It was close with Clinton. Uh, I actually sat in on a couple sessions of the Senate. I lived in D.C. during this time, and I had just left Capitol Hill when this was going on. So I had a lot of friends, and I got tickets. They actually have tickets. Oh, wow. And people were selling their tickets for 
crazy amounts of money to be city to be able to sit in and witness this historic thing that was going down. Right. And it's interesting. It's a super interesting process because when they say that it happens on the floor of the Senate, that it does happen in the Senate, right on the floor, where you have uh, 100 senators sitting in their chairs and their seats on the floor of the Senate, which is rare. If you've ever been to D.C. and sat in the gallery to watch a debate, a lot of people are freaked out by it because they go and then there's fucking no one there. People think that the Senate, they all just sit around all of the senators at one time and listen to each other talk. That's not how it works. They got other shit going on. They're off in committees and different office buildings. Mm -hmm. And you've got one or two senators in there who are speaking or getting ready to speak. And then you've got a senator who is acting as the the president of the Senate at the main chair that you see on C-SPAN. Right. So it is a full Senate during an impeachment uh, proceeding. Mm -hmm. And you have prosecutors who are members of the House, typically the Judiciary Committee, Lindsey Graham, I think, filled that role for the Bill Clinton side. Oh. And they give their case Mm. of impeachment. And the Senate listens as the jurors. They are the jurists, I think. There's some specific term. Arlen Specter, who was a senator from Pennsylvania, was actually a no vote for for removal during the the, uh, the Clinton thing, who was a Republican. Mm -hmm. But... uh, it's it's fascinating. And there's a lot of moving parts, so it's not as easy. One, the articles of, of impeachment have to be drawn up and then voted on. So even getting them drawn up by the, I think it's the Judiciary Committee, maybe it's the House Oversight, Government Oversight Committee, I'm not sure. Right, so that's kind of the point of this article, which is the fact that no president has been removed, actually removed in the impeachment process, that it's kind of difficult for Nate Silver, genius Nate Silver, to determine the factors right. that would play a role in actually removing a president from the office in an impeachment right, process. Right, because oftentimes past performance is indicative of future results, but they don't have any past performance to, to judge it on. Right, so rather than creating a statistical model because he, he isn't able to do that, he, through common sense, has mm-hmm. identified some factors, right, some common themes that he believes would play a role. So the first factor is the seriousness of the alleged offenses. Does the president's behavior fall under the constitutional category of high crimes and misdemeanors? I would say yes. Obstruction of justice, if that is what's proved, and we're just coming into it now, is absolutely an impeachable offense. It is what led to Nixon's downfall, was obstruction. But go, what's he say? Right. So I'm going to read the factor and then we'll allow you to give your opinion. All and then right. and then for each factor, Nate Silver gives a bottom line. He he goes into detail, but then at the end, he, he gives a bottom line. Okay. So for this one, the bottom line, according to Nate Silver, if Congress is looking for reasons to impeach Trump, it already has some plausible ones and it will probably wind up with more before long. This factor substantially contributes to the likelihood of Trump being removed from office. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so the what, se- what are you laughing at uh i don't know <laughs> the second factor is the partisanship of pivotal votes in congress how much partisanship is there in congress other things held equal how likely is the decisive 67th senator to vote to remove a president from his own party mm-hmm. well that's that, that uh, w- this is something i've talked about in the past that 
the tide is starting to turn. If Republicans are already starting to talk about impeachment and obstruction mm-hmm. and distancing themselves from the president, that's a problem. Yeah. Because it's all... He's only he's he's only 130 days or something into his presidency. Right. What in the fuck is going on? Yeah, but like we've talked about, it's Republicans who are saying with their mouths, "I don't like what Donald Trump's doing. I'm at a loss for words." But then their actions are nothing. Right. Well, the, you have those. Who, yeah. The, the Paul Ryan's, mm-hmm. the the Jason Chaffetz, those kind of cowards. But then you have people who are actually saying, like John McCain, it's no surprise, John McCain, he's been a critic for a long time, but Justin Amosh from Michigan, you've got other guys, this, there's a King, King something from Illinois who's also talking about it. So you have other, other members who are not just saying, oh, it's really hard to support this. They're saying, yeah, you know, this could lead to impeachment. They're vocalizing it, which is... a a big step forward. So the bottom line here for this factor for Nate Silver, partisanship is the biggest protection that Trump has against impeachment. If you see Republicans start to break with Trump in more substantive ways, such as by launching special committees or holding up his replacement for Comey, he might have more reason for concern. Mm. But overall, this factor substantially reduces the likelihood of Trump being removed from office. I, I want to briefly pause here in this because I want to I want to mention the the Comey replacement thing that I didn't put on the list here to talk about. And that is that Joe Lieberman is being talked about. Joe Lieberman, who used to be Al Gore's running mate in the 2000 election and was a, a senator from Connecticut, um, I, I think what Donald Trump is doing, it's the Mitt Romney effect that's happening right now because he, he dragged out Mitt Romney, I believe as a show to get buzz that, oh, he's, consi- he's being very bipartisan. He's considering someone who was a, a political opponent and it got him some, some brownie points for people talking about it and then ended up putting, you know, Russian medal of friendship recipient Rex Tillerson as secretary of state. So I think that it's just a ruse to try to get some positive buzz by talking about nominating Joe Lieberman. Mm. I think he's going to end up putting a Trump loyalist in there or attempting to, I could be wrong. We'll see. It's a bold move making a prediction, Brittany. Right. (laughs) So I think So back to the, back to Nate Silver. Yeah. I think part of what Nate Silver's talking about with this factor being the a protective measure, the partisanship being a protective measure for Trump. They recently, 538, they recently had an article about how the political parties typically react to a president of their party being embroiled in scandal mm-hmm. and, and how they handle that. And typically, they viciously support yeah. the president of their party. Blindly. Yes. Viciously, both, both sides. Viciously was good. Yeah. Uh, so that's <laughs> that's why this is a protective thing, because it's going to be very difficult until the Republicans start seeing problems in red states where the tide is turning against Trump, even right. in their population. And it's it's politically expedient for them to do so yeah. until that happens. If they were smart, though. Let me interject here. If they were smart, they'd get this shit done fucking right now. Get it out of the way to maybe save. They could salvage the 2018 midterms if they got rid of Trump now. Yeah. Because Mike Pence is a die to the wool dick-faced Republican asshole. 
He is a gay hater. He is a a just everything that is quintessentially wrong with the Republican establishment platform. Mike Pence is behind from his Re- Religious Freedom Restoration Act to his anti-LGBT stances to his taxation. He is he's theocratic Republican guy. He is loved by the Republican Party. He's not a this weird amalgam, this galvanized hybrid like Trump is, who's just an opportunist. But, but you know, I know that people would say he's worse. He, I don't believe he is worse because we're going to get the the white nationalist element out of the White House. The Steve Bannon types, the Stephen Miller types, they're going to be fucking gone with a, with a President Pence. So the third factor, the president's popularity. What are the president's approval ratings? Does the public think he should be impeached? Has there been a mandate delivered by midterm elections or special elections? What do his numbers look like in states and congressional districts where members of Congress are on the fence about how to vote? Here's the problem with that. And I don't know if they address, I didn't read this article, so I don't know what they address, but there's a new standard. There's a new watermark, uh, you know, high watermark for what is a low approval rating. Donald Trump's sitting at what, 46% right now, between 38 and 46%, depending on the poll. That is historically low. That is ridiculously low. Even the days before, the weeks before uh, the Watergate, before Nixon left, his approval ratings were in the 50s by Republicans. So. Th- What's he going to have to get down to? 25 fucking percent? You know what I mean? There's just a new standard of what is a bad or a poor approval rating. Yeah. So according to Nate Silver, though, this factor contributes only modestly to the likelihood of Trump being removed from office. Because even though he's not popular and those approval ratings are very low, the numbers are not unsalvageable. He says that several presidents have come back from similar ratings to win a second term. Hmm. A further deterioration in his popularity would imply that he is unpopular even in red states, however, and would greatly increase the risk to Trump. Yeah. Nate Silver says. Nate Silver. Mm -hmm. That's what he says. So factor four, the president's relationship with Congress. Does the president generally have good relations with congressional leadership? Is his party's legislative agenda intact? Does Congress feel as though the balance of power has been upset? Is the president cooperating with investigations into his conduct or antagonizing Congress instead? Well, wow, this could go either way. I think relations are getting better with Congress. At the very beginning, he was bypassing, just circumventing their their counsel on many things. For instance, the Muslim ban. Mm-hmm. He just fucking did it. In fact, he had secretly and had non-disclosure agreements signed by certain high-level congressional aides without the consent or knowledge of the people for whom they work, congressmen and congresswomen. So... Early on, it was bad news, but I think he's he's learning the ropes because, you know, he is super inexperienced. I think he's starting to catch on that he really does need Congress. So, but, you know, all it takes is one, you know, early morning tweet storm 
and that could change. Mm -hmm. So Nate Silver says the bottom line here is for the time being, this factor doesn't contribute much to the likelihood of Trump being removed from office. But Trump's history of escalating conflict and failing to respect boundaries could antagonize Congress and contribute to the likelihood of impeachment in the future, especially if the GOP's agenda is in disrepair. History suggests that Congress takes that stuff personally, and it probably should, since the impeachment process is part of the constitutional system of checks and balances. Yes, because, you know, you have five, 535 egos yeah. <laughs> up on Capitol Hill. And if you start stepping on their on their necks because you're the president, mm-hmm. it's not going to sit well with those people. So the second to last factor. There's only six. We're on five. All right. Party control of Congress. Which party controls the House and less importantly for the impeachment purposes, the Senate? Well, I mean, there's a wider margin of support, or I'm sorry, there's a wider majority in the House of Representatives. Mm-hmm. But you only need 216 votes to 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 get the articles of impeachment to move to the Senate. And then the party that's in power is also the prosecuting power party. So you would have Republican prosecutors. You know, it's it's a it's a long haul. Yeah. So the bottom line for Nate Silver, a Democratic takeover of the House is not quite a prerequisite for Trump's impeachment and removal, but it would greatly increase the odds. It would also give the Democrats far greater powers to investigate Trump and to subpoena key materials, which could create additional basis for impeachment charges. Yeah, I listen, if if this goes to midterm and the the House flips, this is why I think if if they're going to do it, they need to do it early as they can. Because if, if the House flips to the Democrats in 2018, which isn't long away, they're going to start campaigning here in another six months, f- probably fewer than that. And if the Democrats get in there and they have a simple majority, that's all you need in the House. Again, we're repeating it over and over. It's not looking good for Donald Trump because there is ample evidence, even right now, and Comey is likely to testify in two days. We're going to have a lot more detail about what's going on. Yeah. This is, we're in the infancy of a presidency. Mm-hmm. It's, if the Democrats get in there, they're going to run, run this right through, I think. Hopefully they get a different speaker than Nancy Pelosi, because as it stands, she would be, she's the minority leader. She would be the speaker of the house uh, if they vote her in. Mm-hmm. I, I really look as a new Democrat, newly, you know, in the party, I want somebody different. I want somebody younger. I want somebody new. Ages. Somebody mo- somebody motivated. Well, she just doesn't have a track record of success. It's it's a joke. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Next, I think with the last, last point. So the final factor in whether or not Donald Trump will be impeached, according to Nate Silver, the line of succession. Who would take over for the president? Do leaders of the president's party regard the replacement as an acceptable or even preferable alternative to the president. And as I've already previously talked about, yes, absolutely they do. I think they know they could work well with Mike Pence, who used to, he's a former member of the House of Representatives before he became governor of Indiana. He's their kind of guy. So Nate Silver's bottom line. If the theory is that you shouldn't hire a well-qualified understudy because he makes your job more vulnerable, then Trump made a mistake in picking Pence as his running mate. Pence isn't popular with everyone, but he is likely to be broadly accepted 
by Republicans in the House and Senate, and they're the ones with the impeachment votes. Articles like one Nate Silver references here in which Republicans begin to whisper about the probability of a President Pence should be seen as a probability of President Pence (laughs) should be seen as a bearish indicator for Trump. Hmm. A bullish indicator or bearish for Trump's removal Mm -hmm. or 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 retention bearish meaning ah, you're not you're not strong on it. Yeah. 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 That's a bad metaphor. You shouldn't have used that metaphor. Little criticism for 538.com. How dare you? <laughs> yeah, so I'm going to stick with Nate Silver. <laughs> of course you are. <laughs> rather than you. So. No, what I'm saying is, it's it's it, the way the sentence was, I don't know why we're getting in the weeds here, but the way the sentence was structured, read the sentence again. I already closed out of the article. Okay. <laughs> I literally just closed the article, so I'm not. Well, maybe I heard it wrong. Whatever. I guess I'll have to listen to the podcast now. <laughs> I'll have to go back and listen to the show. Yeah, I'm sure that will happen. To, no, that will not happen. So, look, it's it's a wait and see game, but I think that things are going to start moving here pretty quickly with the different uh, testimony. You know, they are moving forward with these uh, these committees and the testimony that's coming forward. All right, moving on. It's the asshole of today. Memorial Middle School in Rockdale County, Georgia. Georgia mm-hmm. on the map. Yeah. What they do? So, I don't know what this is. So. You know those most likely to awards that they give at the end of the school year in middle school and high school. I didn't get them in middle school, but yeah, I got best dressed in high school. Oh. Yeah. Good for you. I would have rather had most likely to succeed. Yeah. But I didn't put in the work. <laughs> so that would have been fucking ridiculous. Well, this young girl received an award for most likely to not pay attention. Uh goddamn. Mm-hmm. But the the thing is is that she has ADHD. And so she brought home this award. Wow. And her mom was not very happy about this. Naturally. Yeah. Um, she said, quote, I feel like this is very derogatory. I feel it was humiliating um, that this was held at an assembly yeah. at school. It's like giving a least likely to live to 20 with someone who has fucking leukemia. Yeah. It's just really. You're, you're, you're stigmatizing and drawing attention to their disability, to their condition. Yeah, and I... You have personal experience with it. Well, I, I do. Your family. Yeah, so my brother was voted most likely to go to jail in high school. That's a real fucking thing that's in the yearbook. Yeah, there's a picture of him behind, like, fake jail, you know, a, j- a jail cell. Right. And our dad was in prison at this time. Yes. At the time that he got this, our, our dad was in prison. So adults are behind these decisions. Didn't he also get another one? Yeah, Junkie Jalopy. <laughs> shitty car. The shittiest car award. Yeah. Which is, he's a fucking poor kid. Right. It's, it's like having poorest student. Yeah. Most likely to remain on the welfare rolls. Like, yeah. What the fuck are they doing? And like you said, there's a yearbook advisor who's, a, who's, a, who's an adult. Who yeah. is an educated person who is a faculty member. 
Right. And at the time, my brother thought this was funny. We did not think it was funny, but he thought it was funny. And even if the kid that you're giving the award to thinks it's funny. They're a child. Yeah, it's not going to be funny. When they grow up and their brain finishes developing and they're able to reflect on this, I think it's going to be less funny. And this parent of this child who received this award, this most likely to not pay attention. Hot damn. What's going on here? The adults that are behind these decisions should say, no, we're not going to do negative things. Yeah, we should only be shining a light on positive attributes. Right. Yeah. yeah. Why is that so hard? Name the school again, because fuck them. <laughs> Memorial Middle School in Rockdale County, Georgia. In Rock County, Georgia. Rockdale County. Rockdale County, Georgia. Yeah. Fuck you guys. Well. well it's dickish. That's a dick move. Someone should, if so, you're in charge of a yearbook, please stop with the negative, negative awards. Just only positive. Oh, who has the best eyes? Who has the best hair? Right? Stick with that. Okay. Well, I think they're goofy anyway. Yeah. It's kind of ridiculous. I don't think that it's like, oh, because you're, you're not, if someone's not getting the trophy, I don't believe that. Well, also trust me, it's not reality because my ex-boyfriend got most likely to be a millionaire because he was involved in MLM. Multi-level marketing. Didn't work out. Yeah. Not a millionaire, everybody. <laughs> Didn't work out. <laughs> Probably still not re re uh, doing ACN or whatever the long distance fucking pyramid scheme was at the time. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Goddamn people are dumb All right everybody Fuck you Rockdale County Georgia We're gonna end the show We love you guys we appreciate you Thank you for tuning in twice a week or as often as you do If you would like to support the show By doing something other than listening And we love when you listen Go rate and review us on iTunes That is a tremendous help Because iTunes Puts us in front of new listeners The more activity that we get in ra ratings and reviews so we would love that you can also support us financially get us closer to that third episode per week dollamore.com on the left hand side of the page support the show there's all kinds of ways there we love you and until next time for Brittany page i am jesse dollamore and this has been i doubt it Brittany Page, her thesis is, Are Atheists Immoral? Patterns of Values of Atheists, Theists, and Theists on Moral Foundations. Dr. Navarick is her thesis chair.